0: That several were going to be out. We're thankful that that you're here and that we can worship God together. Lord, because you, Jude and Owen, for encouraging your dad to sing that song about the battle belonging to the Lord, because this life is a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And um, and it's going to be this way until this life is over. But God has promised to be faithful in the battle, and we can have confidence in that. So a good song to remind us of those things. Read with me, please, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, as we look at a principle this morning that is important to us all. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. Then the Lord said to David, Nathan to David, this is after David, remember, had seen Bathsheba bathing, and he lusted after her, and he did things he shouldn't do with her. And um, he ended up killing her husband so they he could have her. Remember that story. Nathan goes to David with a message in verse 1. And he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and uh, bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Nathan had delivered a message to David. David didn't get that the message was about him, did he? David was irate, and Samuel has to bring back the message to him and say, wait, or Nathan does to him and say, you are the person that we're talking about here. We live in the information age. There's information all around us. And one of the benefits of that is that we have access to information that mankind's never had access to before. And I think this is specifically true in the area of weather. We have at our disposal any time that we want it, the forecast, we can see satellite images of the clouds that are floating in the sky above us, we can watch the radar any time we want it. It didn't used to be like this. When I was a kid, and I don't know, there's probably not many people who remember this in the audience, the only way you could get the weather was on the news at night or if you were fortunate enough to have a NOAA weather radio. That was a radio, kids, that just played the weather. And there was a recording that was updated every hour and it would tell you about what the weather was doing. And that was space age technology. My dad had one, he kept it on top of the refrigerator. And whenever there might be a chance of snow that we might get out of school, dad would go turn that weather radio on and we could hear what the forecasters were saying and there was no radar that you could see, but they would give hourly observations. They'd say, it's snowing in this city, and the temperature's this. And over in this city, it's cloudy, and the temperature's this. And they'd update it every hour. That was, that was about as good as you got. Now that we have so much access to weather information, forecasters, meteorologists are worried that we have too many warnings. Because you get a, you get a thunderstorm warning all the time. And how many people are just ignoring those warnings? Because it happens all the time. The alerts go off, the phones go crazy, and then nothing happens, and people begin to think, well, that warning is not for me. I'll just ignore it. So that when there really is a warning, people aren't prepared. We need to be careful about that in in physical things, but I'm telling you, it's especially dangerous in spiritual things. Because just as Nathan had that message from God for for David, And David didn't see it. It went over his head that it was talking about him. I want to tell you that same danger is for us as well. When we go to the scriptures, when we read this, if we fail to realize that God's talking to me and he's talking to you, then we'll miss the warnings that God has given us. I'm afraid it's very easy for us as we read the scriptures. Oh, yeah, that's talking about him. Oh, looky there. There she is right there. She needs to look at this. But do we stop to think that, well, these messages are directed to me as well? Especially the difficult messages, the messages that may cause us to change, they're written to me as well. This morning, I want us to realize as we read the scriptures, it's talking about us. The Bible's talking about you. God has specific instructions for you. And just while it, as, as dangerous as it would be to ignore those, Weather alerts that may be affecting you. It's more dangerous, I believe, to avoid and ignore the warnings that God has given us about our spiritual lives. This lesson could go a lot of different directions this morning, but I want to look at a few areas where we need to realize the Bible's talking about me. When I read what the Scriptures tell me, the Bible's talking about me. The first thing that we need to understand is my sin, your sin, separates you from God. There are numerous warnings about what sin does to a person in the Bible. The Bible paints sin up in no flattering terms. The Bible is very clear about how ugly and black and dark sin is. As we see this, it's very easy to see it in the lives of others. Just see how terrible and evil and wicked sin is and how it messes up people's lives. That guy in the gutter that's drunk, the guy that's at the end of this line, the drug addict, that's, it's very easy for me to see how bad sin is. It's very easy for me to see as I watch that person in the news being carted off to jail in his handcuffs and in that striped suit how evil sin is and how bad it is and how, how it messes up their lives. I'll tell you, the scriptures tell me that it's that way in my life as well. But I'm tempted to just give myself a pass. Well, the sins in my life aren't that big a deal. They're not like that guy's sin or like her sin. My sin's not that big a deal. But the scripture says not so. Notice what it says in 2 John verse 9. In 2 John verse 9, Whosoever, that's you, Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. When we sin... When we go away from what God's will for us is, do you realize that that breaks our fellowship with God? It separates us from God? God's nature is such that He cannot accept sin. God is holy and righteous, and that nature will prevent him from accepting sin. He can't accept it. It separates us. in Isaiah chapter 59, in Isaiah chapter 59, beginning of verse one. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. And that's not just talking about, oh, so-and-so. It's talking about me. That's talking about you. When we sin, it breaks our fellowship with God. It separates us from God. Sin Separates us from God. Sin is bad. Your sin is bad. Your sin is terrible. Your sin, let me tell you, is just as dark and as ugly and as wicked as anybody's in jail. Or any drunk in the gutter. Your sin separates you from God. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that you must come to God for salvation. We can't deal with sin ourselves. We can't deal with the guilt. We can't deal with the responsibility. We can't deal with the consequences, the regret, the sorrow. We have no solution for the problem of sin. I can't fix it. You can't fix it. Nobody on earth can fix the problem of sin. Scriptures are very clear that God can fix our problems. In Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever, that's you, believes on him who will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on Him. For whom, whom, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We need to have the problem of sin taken care of. And God has given, come to God for that. We've got to call on the name of the Lord. We've got to look to him for what he wants from us so that we can be saved. We must come to God. Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning of verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is talking to you. Don't put it on someone else that this is for somebody else. This is for me. And this is for you. Jesus wants us to come to Him. He wants to take the burden of sin off of us. He wants to take that away from us. So we don't have to carry around the guilt. We don't have to carry around the consequences. We don't have to remain to be separated from God. He is calling you to come to Him. He wants to save us. We've got to come to Him. And we've got to be humble enough to do that. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's you. He cares for you. Not just some fictitious person. He cares for you. But we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to seek his will above our own. We've got to follow him so that he can take care of this sin for us. We must come to God for salvation. I want to tell you, it's not just a singular coming to God. It's got to reshape our whole life. And the scriptures are very clear that you must sacrifice your life to be pleasing to God. Our entire lives must be devoted to Christ. And that's often the sticking point, isn't it? We like this idea of sin be take, being taken away from us. We like this idea of not having the guilt of sin anymore. But we also need to understand the scriptures are telling you and telling me that we've got to... It might be all right to talk of sacrifice to God. And it might be all right to talk about a person living a life of sacrifice if you're talking about the preacher. Or you're talking about the Bible class teacher. Or you're talking about other people in the congregation. But the Bible is talking to you that you need to live a life of sacrifice to God. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says we have to deny ourselves. We need to be reminded about what a cross is and what happened on a cross. Crosses weren't things of pleasure. Crosses were where you died, where your life ended. We're to take up our cross, we're to sacrifice ourselves in service of God and Christ. In Luke chapter 14, verse 27, in Luke chapter 14, verse 27 and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever is mentioned there is you, and it's me. Unless we're taking up our cross, we're not going to be his disciple. Unless we're sacrificing ourselves, we're not his disciple. That means you will not and you cannot be pleasing to God without bearing your cross. But we live in a society, don't we, that values and places great value and value on on being uh, at ease, on having convenience. And living the life of a Christian is not the life of ease and convenience. Living the life of a Christian is one of self-sacrifice. And maybe that's why Jesus said it was hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because we, as rich people, have the opportunity to be at ease and to have convenience and not put ourselves out for anything. We'll just write a check for it. But the life of a Christian means that we're going to be sacrificing ourselves. Part of this sacrifice means we're going to be sacrificing for others. In Matthew chapter 20... In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus called them to himself, verse 25, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You, if you want to be great in God's eyes, need to be a servant to your fellow man. Not just somebody else ought to be serving you. No, you, if you want to be great in God's eyes, you need to be a servant of others. But our society is incredibly self-absorbed, isn't it? Our society is all about me. The marketing that I see all around me is talking about me, isn't it? About what I want, about what I need to be happy, about what will bring me fulfillment and joy. Me, me, me. Our social media does that as well, doesn't it? So I can post about me. The selfie stick is all about me. And Jesus says it needs to be the other way around. That I've got to be sacrificing myself, serving others to be the person God wants me to be. It can't be all about me. This is talking about you and it's talking about me. Part of this means I can't put myself up on a pedestal. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's talking about you. That's talking about me. The way to be pleasing to God is not to put myself up on a pedestal, not to be looking at and getting other people to think how great and how wonderful He is. What a special person he is. How incredibly gifted and talented and smart and wealthy and popular and good-looking, whatever it may be, putting myself up on that pedestal. No, no, no. If I want to be pleasing to God, I have to be humbling myself. Talking about the entirety of our existence. Everything I do needs to be devoted to serving God. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be to my disciple. Put your name in there. So likewise, you cannot be God's disciple. Christ's disciple, if you don't forsake all that you have. We have to live our life devoted to be pleasing to God, sacrificing our life to be pleasing to him. Furthermore, you must take a stand for what's right. That's what the scriptures teach. Part of this sacrifice includes taking a stand for what's right. You're going to have to be different. And that difference is going to have to be visible. There are no Christians in camouflage that look like the world around them. Christians have to stand out. And God has called us to stand out and to be different and not go along with the sins and the wickedness that's in the world around us, but to be different. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and and adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, that's you, therefore that wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see this idea of just blending in, And looking like the world and going along with the world and doing the things that the world does that are evil that causes us to be an enemy of God. I want to tell you, the world is not going to like us all the time. Jesus said, get ready for this because they didn't like me. He said, they're not going to like you if you're living like me. But sometimes we think we can be better than Jesus. Jesus couldn't pull it off where everybody liked him all the time and everybody thought he was cool. No, they didn't like Jesus. They hated him. Not because he went around trying to be a jerk, but because he was doing what God wanted him to do. And people who are wicked aren't going to like that. And so kids, you're not always going to be the most popular at school all the time because you're not going along with the kids that are doing the bad things. You're going to have to be different. And that's what God wants us to do. We're not going to be unfriendly, but the world isn't going to like us just because of who we are, and what we stand for. Are you willing to be different? Whoever, that's you. If you want to be a friend of the world, if you want to go along with the bad things, then just know that God's not going to be pleased with you. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. In Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, I do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear whom is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, me before men, him confess before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus is talking about you. He's talking about me. Are we going to stand up for what's right? Are we going to confess Him before men? Or are we going to deny Him? And I want to tell you that silence is denying, isn't it? Confession and denying are placed in opposition to each other. Either you confess or you deny. And if you're not confessing, I want to tell you you're denying. We need to stand up for what's right. You must stand up for what's right. And the Bible is clear that you must suffer persecution. You must suffer persecution. While it might be good to, we might think, to stand up for what's right, but I'll tell you it hurts more when we're going to have to suffer for that. that 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's you. And that's me. If we're doing what we're supposed to do, God says we're going to pay a price for that. We're going to suffer persecution. Now hopefully it's not like they were doing in the New Testament times where they were burning them at the stake and crucifying them upside down and feeding them to wild animals. But we're going to have to suffer a form of persecution if we're doing what God wants us to do. And it may not seem right that I'm doing all this to be pleasing to God, I'm giving my life to be pleasing to God, and I'm still going to have to suffer persecution. That just pours salt in the wound, doesn't it? We need to make sure that we're willing to do this. And many, I'm afraid, use persecution as sort of the governor. That, that if there comes a time where I'm going to have to pay a price for living like I should, well, then that must mean I shouldn't do that. If I need to stand up for what's right and it may cost me a promotion at work or it may cost me my job, well, surely God wouldn't expect that. I'm not going to do that. Or a standing up for what's right might cause me to have a little friction in my relationship with someone. Someone might not like me if I don't go along with them. And they might make fun of me if I, if I do the right thing. Well, surely God wouldn't want that. No, the scriptures say that you're going to have to suffer persecution if you're standing up for what's right. You will have to suffer persecution. Finally, this morning, the scriptures are clear that you can have eternal life. There are some people who might think that being pleasing to God is impossible. It's just too hard. I've got too many things working against me. Uh, It just seems too too difficult. There's no way that I can do it. I just can't live pleasing to God. And there are some people who are even preaching this this morning in pulpits, that God has chosen certain people that He wants to go to heaven and other people that He wants to go to hell, and, and maybe you can't go to heaven. Maybe it's just not... Possible for me because God chose that He didn't want me to go to heaven. But the Scriptures are clear that anyone can go to heaven, and that includes me and that includes you. In John chapter 3, verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, you and me, believes in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you trust what the Scriptures say about that? Do you trust that God said that you can have eternal life? The scriptures are clear. We could be pleasing to God. We can go to heaven. The Scriptures are talking about me when it says that whoever believes can have eternal life. The Scriptures are clear. We need to understand the Scriptures are talking about us. We need to understand that sin is terrible. It separates us from God, that we've got to come to God for salvation. And we've got to live a life of... means I'm to be pleasing to God. That sacrifice means I take a stand. That sacrifice means I'm prepared to suffer for what's right. And that means that I can have eternal life. What about you this morning? Do you have confidence in what the Scriptures teach about the ability to have eternal life? Have you become a Christian this morning? Have you submitted to what God wants from you? And you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does God want from me? Would you turn with a few passage, to me with a, for a few passages along those lines? Look first in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 tells me I need to be studying God's Word. I need to be looking at this. God's given me what He wants from me. I need to be studying that. I need to be learning that. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've got to be hearing God's word. Why? Because that'll bring faith. Well, what's faith all about? Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I've got to understand God's will, and I've got to believe it. I've got to believe the things that I read here. Without belief, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Scripture's tell me some other things, though, that I can't just be content with, yeah, I've lived a wild and reckless life. I've sinned against God. I've done things that I shouldn't. No, I need to repent from those. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. I've got to repent from my past. I can't continue to live the way that I've lived in the past. Luke 13, verse 3. I tell you no, except, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Unless we chapter 10. We talked about confessing earlier in our lesson this morning. We understand we've got to confess our faith in Christ in order to be pleasing to God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, beginning. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. I've got to be willing to confess my faith in Christ. So I'm going to hear what the scriptures teach. I'm going to believe them. Hebrews 11, verse 6. I'm going to repent of the things it tells me I shouldn't be doing. I'm going to confess my faith in Christ in order to be saved. And one more passage, look at Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, notice what the Scriptures tell us, in order to be saved. Mark chapter 16, beginning of verse 15. Mark chapter 16, beginning of verse 15, Jesus, just before He's going to leave and go uh, to, back to heaven after His resurrection, He says, verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Jesus told me, and He told you, that we need to be baptized for the remission of our sins in order to be saved. Have we done that? The Scriptures are talking to you, and they're talking to me. Have we done that? And have we given our life in service to Christ? Are we living a life that's pleasing to Him? If you're here this morning, there's anything we can do to help you, will you let us know while we stand and while we sing?